Turn to Luke chapter 17, verses 11 through 19 for our gospel lesson. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee, and as he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, Jesus said, go and show yourselves to the priests, and as they went, they were cleansed. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him. He was a Samaritan. And Jesus said, or asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Was none found to return and give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to the man, rise and go, your faith has made you well. Would you pray with me? Lord God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of each heart be acceptable in your sight. You are truly our blessed rock and our redeemer. Amen. 2024 may be known as the summer of the geriatric tour, right? Rolling Stones, their frontman Mick Jaggers, turned 80, announced they will be on tour this summer. The Eagles, led by 76-year-old Don Henley, are on tour. Aerosmith and their 75-year-old frontman Steven Tyler are on tour. Country icon Reba McIntyre, who is the kid of the bunch at just 68, announced she'll be touring this summer. The generation that gave us the lyrics, Hope I Die Before I Grow Old, probably wished they hadn't given us those lyrics. Or at least something like, hope my tour ends before I die. And while I'm not going to fork out hundreds of dollars to see any of them, I do rejoice that for many, age has become just a number. And they are as engaged in their craft at 80 as they were at 18. We finished our sermon series and our small group series for many of us uh, this week and in the last few chapters of the book Unafraid, Adam Hamilton deals with a lot of of, of things that make us anxious such as old age, such as disease, such as end of life, such as God's judgment and I want to focus kind of loosely on old age in this sermon and uh, direct you to the small group to cover the other topics. Shortly before his death, God took Moses up to the top of Mount Nebo. Mount Nebo is not really a mount, but uh, it's a tall hill. It, It stands on the east side of the Jordan River in what today would be the nation of Jordan. And if you stand atop Mount Ebo and you look to the west, as Moses would have done that day, you look down into a valley, and on a really good day, you can see Jerusalem. On most days, you can see Jericho. And as God stood there with Moses on top of Mount Nebo, God said to him, Moses, this is the land that your grandchildren will possess. And Moses pronounced himself blessed. When Moses climbed that mountain with God, at least according to the scriptures, he was 120 years old. That makes me feel, I turned 60 this year. I'm middle-aged according to Moses. I got another 60 years to go. I'm charged up about that. I love the story for a lot of reasons, but, but, but one of the chief is this idea of God giving vision to a really old person and how important that was. Moses said because he could see this vision, because God cared about him enough, he was blessed. I want to argue this morning that as we age, and as all of us think about aging, some of us more than others, as we age, we sometimes think of ourselves as being cursed, right? 
Old age isn't always a blessing. Sometimes our, our bodies begin to become frail and, and our minds don't work like they used to work. And we may say to ourselves, oh, I wish I were young again. How can I be young again? I want to argue with you this morning that I think there are at least three ways that we can hold on to our youth even as our bodies age. And the first is that wonderful vision that God gave to Moses. When we see the world as God sees the world. The second develops out of that. That's an attitude of gratitude. And the the third thing I think is to frankly act like a kid. To be willing to take risks and try new things. I think these three practices will keep us at least spiritually and emotionally young. Even as our bodies age. One of my favorite movies is uh, Up. If you haven't seen Up, I, it's, what, 10, 15 years old. Uh, highly recommend it. It's the story of a, a man, Carl Fredrickson, brilliantly voiced by Ed Asner, one of my favorite actors. Carl Fredrickson is experiencing the loss of his beloved wife, Ellie. And with her death has died his dreams. He has a, a, a picture book of all the dreams that he and Ellie had shared together of having a family, of traveling the world, of finding this exotic bird. And with her death, he has essentially closed that book up and resolved that he will spend the rest of his days in the small house that he and Ellie had built. His plans are interrupted by a young boy scout and a talking dog. Always beware of those talking dogs, friends. What they begin to do, though, is is they begin to show Carl Fredrickson how dangerous it is to shut your life up, to sequester yourself, to refuse to see anything beyond your world. The movie is a parable about growing old and the dangers of, as we grow old, having our world shrink down. Sometimes it happens to our eyesight as we grow old, right? Right? Our our eyesight begins to dim, especially our peripheral eyesight. Uh, Sometimes our ability to see big things, expansive things, begins to dim with old age. The danger is when that begins to happen to us emotionally and spiritually, and oftentimes it does. I remember many years ago visiting a a woman in a, a nursing home. Uh, she lived in a, uh, about a 12 by 10 room in that nursing home. She, she had a bed and she had a chair and she had a dresser and she had some pictures of her family members up on the wall. And except for eating a lunch out in the dining room, she took dinner in her own room and the occasional visit to a doctor's office, she never left that room. She spent most of her days in that 12 by 10 room. Now, people tried to get her out of the room Her family were always inviting her to things, but she wouldn't go. She was afraid she was going to get mugged, which was pretty silly as this was a small town where I think there hadn't been a mugging in 50 years. Or she was afraid she was going to catch some disease. This was before the pandemic. It was far more likely she would catch a disease in the nursing home than she would out in the world. Or, or, or she was worried about the world. She would tell me what awful things were happening in the world outside her room. Where have you heard of these things, I would say. I just know, she said. When you would visit with her, it's as if you got pulled into that tiny little box of a room. And I'm sure every single one of us knows somebody to whom that has happened. The world has gotten smaller and smaller and smaller. The outside world has gotten more and more and more fearful. All of a sudden, you believe that the only place safe for you is in the confines of that tiny little space, and your world shrinks to that space. 
That's a dangerous thing to happen. And it's, it's a danger we, we all face, uh, especially as we grow physically older, that our world begins to shrink. That, that's, I love the story of, of, of Moses and, and, and God. God. God says to Moses one morning, hey, what are you doing today? And Moses says, I don't know, I, I, I was going to go fishing. And God says, hey, let's go, let's go to this mountain together. And so they go to the mountain together and they get to the top of the mountain. And God says, look at this. And Moses looks at the world as God sees the world. And Moses is in awe. Friends, God is, God is a lot older than even my old friend was in the nursing home. God has been around many, many years. God, if anybody should have the right to sit in a room and have their meals brought to them, it should be God. But what we know from Scripture is the God that we worship, the God that we believe in, the God that we love, the God who created us, loves nothing more than to look at the world with big, expansive eyes, with joy and vision and hope. And invites us to do the same. Lamentations is this little book in, in, in your Old Testament. It's about a, a two-thirds of the way through your Old Testament. If you haven't read it, it's pretty depressive stuff. Uh, J- Jeremiah wrote it. He, he wrote it after the destruction of the temple, the downfall of Israel. You know, the, the, the Babylonian army came in and wiped out the city and, and marched off and changed the few people that they left alive. And, and Jeremiah and a few others had escaped down into Egypt. And, and, and Jeremiah writes this lament, right? about all that has happened to he and his people, how awful the world is, how terrible the future appears to be. Jeremiah is pouring all of these words down onto paper, and there's this moment where all of a sudden it's as if Jeremiah looked up from his paper and looked out the window and saw the sun in the sky and said to himself, but this is not how God sees things. All of a sudden, he writes these wonderful words, and they're found in uh, Jeremiah chapter 3. New every morning, God, your compassion never fails. Great is your faithfulness. If you're thinking of that great Thomas Chisholm hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness, it's based on this verse. This idea that Jeremiah was sunk into his lament so deep that he couldn't see any reason even to live and was lifted out of it by being willing to at least spiritually climb a mountain with God and look at the world as God sees the world. This is so important for us. This is one of the ways we stay young, by reminding ourselves to look at the world as God looks at the world. I am heartbroken by what's happening in the Middle East. I can't make sense of what's happening in Gaza and Israel these days. I told my wife last night, just turn off the news. I don't want to watch any more of this. I can't make sense of what's happening in our nation's capital these days. We have people that seem to hate each other that we've sent to Washington to work together to figure things out. I can't make sense of that. Where did we go wrong with that? Or even the hatred in the streets of our own country. I can't make sense of that either. It's enough to make me find my own 12 by 10 room somewhere and say, bring me my meals and I'm going to clear myself out of the world. But what I know this to be true is that's not how God sees the world. God invites us every once in a while to step out of our narrowing vision and to climb at least spiritually a mountain somewhere and see the world with God, see hope and life and light. One of the ways we stay young is to spend some time on a mountaintop with God. 
and to open our eyes to see as God sees. And when this happens, we begin to experience gratitude, right? That's, I think, the second key to staying forever young is the expression of gratitude. We were talking about this in our, our small group that met last Tuesday, and, and somebody in the group said, well, you, you know that gratitude is the only emotion that can't be shared with other emotions. And as she was saying this, I thought to myself, well, that's, that's just inane. That, that doesn't make any sense. And, and she went on to explain, no, no, think about it. You can be, you can be angry and, and, and sad at the same time, right? Happy and sad at the same time. You, you, can be, you can be surprised and disappointed at the same time, but you can't experience gratitude and any other emotion simultaneously. She's right. You can't express gratitude and be mad at the same time. You can't express gratitude and be unforgiving at the same time. You can't express gratitude and be disappointed at the same time. The expression of gratitude is an emotion that cannot be shared with any other emotion. And if that's true, and I think it's true, there's a, a second teaching that goes with that, and that is it's not natural for us to express gratitude. If you had a newborn in your house recently, you know that to be true, right? We have a, a kitten uh, in our household, and, and the kitten doesn't express much gratitude. It just wants more food, right? Uh, that, that's, that's the way we're wired. We're wired not to be a grateful people. We have to learn to be grateful. We have to learn to express gratitude. We have to discipline ourselves to express gratitude. But here's the key. When we express gratitude, we are lifting our spirits up towards God. Are you expressing gratitude every single day? In this story uh, that we shared just earlier from Luke chapter 17, there are, there, are, there are these men that are on the road. Jesus is on the road as well. They call out to him, Jesus, heal us. They have leprosy, probably Hansen's disease. Uh, leprosy, of course, is a devastating illness. Uh, our, our bodies seem to rot from the inside out. There, there usually is a horrific smell associated with it. You can lose fingers. Uh, it, it's just a terrible disease to experience. And as difficult as the disease was itself, it's the surrounding issues of leprosy that made it even worse. If you had been diagnosed with leprosy, you were to stay away from community. You were to stay away from your family. You were to stay away from God. You would not be allowed into the temple. You would not be allowed into a synagogue. It was assumed that God wanted nothing to do with you because of this disease. And these, these ten men see Jesus coming and they know who Jesus is and they call out to him to heal them. And Jesus tells them that they are healed to go and show themselves to the priests. That, that's the means by which they'll be welcomed back into society again. And sometimes later, Jesus is in the, the next town, and he's ministering them. And all of a sudden, this man comes up to Jesus, and Jesus vaguely recollects this man. And this man falls down at Jesus' feet, and the man begins to thank Jesus and praise God for the healing. I was one of those ten on the road that you healed. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, God, for this miracle. And Jesus asked the man a question, right? Where, where are the other nine guys that I healed? Why is it that only you have come back? And, and then before the man can answer the question, Jesus reaches down, and I've always imagined him taking the man by his hand, another form of healing, right? He's touched a man who was leprous, raises him up to his feet, and says to the man, now go because of your faith, you are made well. Now when I first read this, I thought to myself, 
Well, this man was already made well, right? He was already cured of his leprosy. What is Jesus saying here in this moment? And then I reread it, read it again in the original Greek, tried to make sense of that word at the end, you are made well or you are made whole. And I realized that what our Lord was saying to this man was, because you are expressing gratitude, now you are made well, you are made whole. Because it's in the expression of gratitude that we feel as if we are blessed and belong to God. You should express gratitude because it will make you feel blessed. It will remind you you belong to God. It will remind you that you're loved. You should express gratitude when the health report comes back and it's not what you hope for. You should express gratitude when a friend disappoints you. You should express gratitude when when your children or grandchildren find themselves in trouble again. You should express gratitude when the boss yells at you at work. You should express gratitude not for these things because there's nothing in these things that we'd express gratitude towards. But we express gratitude towards God for the things that we do have, the blessings that we do have. We lift ourselves up into the blessing of God when we give thanks to God for what God has given to us, for what God has bestowed on us, if nothing other than the breath that we have. And here's the last key to expressing gratitude. you got to be all in on it. You can't half-heartedly express gratitude. Many years ago, I heard uh, Fred Craddock speak. He's one of my favorite preachers. Uh, and he, he was telling about the time that his uh, three-year-old granddaughter, Kristen, came to visit. He had a full day planned with her. They went to the park. They got ice cream cones. They swang on the, the swings. They, they, they fed the squirrels. And at lunchtime, they walked home, and they were sitting at the table. And Fred Craddock said, we were about to eat my lunch. And my granddaughter said, Grandpa, I'll say the prayer. I said, great, say the prayer, Kristen. She said the prayer all three-year-olds pray, right? God is great, God is good, let us thank him for our food. Amen. Craddock said after she was done, I reached down to pick up my fork to start eating my lunch. And that's when I heard my granddaughter scream, stop. Grandpa, you're not doing it right. I thought to myself, what am I not doing right with my fork? And she got up out of her chair and walked over to where her grandpa was sitting and said, no, you didn't pray right, grandpa. And it was clear to him at that moment that she had been watching him pray. And she said, you didn't put your hands together like this. And she took her three-year-old little hands and folded his hands together like this and said, now we're going to have to do it again, grandpa. And they prayed again. And he said, I realized in that moment that she got something I didn't get. If you're going to express gratitude, you can't go half at it. You can't give God 50% or 70% or 90% and experience that blessing. You got to give God 100%. I know that's hard to do. And there are days where we don't feel much like giving God gratitude. But the way we'll stay spiritually young and emotionally young begins with the word thanks. One of my favorite psalms, Psalm 136.1, begins with these words, give thanks to the Lord always, for God is good. Our last key to staying spiritually young is to act like we're young, right? 
One of the things that happens as we get older, as, as, as we age, is, is we begin to act like an adult, to think like an adult, and we forget our childish ways, to paraphrase Paul. Uh, a child will try almost anything for the first time, right? Maybe there's some things on their plate, especially if they're green, they're not going to try, right? But for the most part, a child is game to try new things. Teenagers are sometimes recklessly game to try new things. What happens when we get older or older is our willingness to risk and try new things begins to diminish, right? I see that a lot with social media, right? I, I'm not going to try. That's stupid. That Facebook thing, that's never going to catch on. Nobody's going to be on Facebook, right? Then when we old people get on Facebook, who gets off it? The young people, right? They don't want to be on something with grandma or grandpa, right? It, it, it naturally happens to us that we begin to limit. We begin to stop risking. We begin to stop trying. We fall into familiar habits, and we actually begin to feel our age, Think about God's calling to old people to try something new. Moses was 120 when God said, let's climb up Mount Nebo. He was 80 when God said, let's go down into Egypt and do something about this people. Joshua was also 80 when God said, it's time for you to gather up an army and settle this thing once and for all. Anna, the first Christian preacher, was 84 in the temple. Abraham and Sarah were in their 90s when they decided to start a family. I would not recommend that, by the way. But they were in their 90s when they began their family life together. One of my favorite stories is about Anna Mary uh, Richardson. Anna Mary Richardson uh, was uh, Robertson, I'm sorry, was born in 1860. She uh, grew up in the uh, New York uh, Catskills, uh, was at 12 years old, sent out to take care of a farm family, got married at 26, had 10 children, five of whom survived into adulthood. She worked until she was 76 on the farm. She churned butter, she milked cows, she made the food, she sewed the clothes. At night, she would sit and embroider her one hobby that she gave to herself. When she was in her late 70s, arthritis crippled her fingers so much that she couldn't embroider anymore. Some of her family and friends suggest she just live out the rest of her days in a rocking chair. But that's not who she was. She decided to take up painting again. She had painted as a little girl. She got some oil paints from a drugstore, found some old barn wood, and began to paint images from her childhood. She would sign them with the nickname that everybody called her, Grandma Moses. This was in her late 70s, folks, and her 80s and her 90s that she decided to take up painting. Uh, an art buyer was in the small town where she lived and happened to see one of her pictures hanging up in a local drugstore and bought it for $5 and then promptly went out to the farm to see if she had other paintings. One of her paintings, Sugaring Off, that's the painting you can see on the board behind me, just sold recently at an auction for $1.2 million. She painted that in her 80s. What new things are you going to try? What risks are you going to take? Did you see the note about the woman that skydived at, I think, 103 recently? Are you, are you allowing your life, are you allowing your experience of life to diminish? One of the ways that we stay young is to take risks. Learn Spanish. Start reading again. Get on Snapchat or Instagram or don't tell your grandkids you're doing it, but, but get on some form of social media that you have no idea how it works. Embrace life with God.
I read recently that Americans are spending about $100 a month on creams, pills, medicines, treatments, counseling, all designed to keep us as young as we can possibly be. And I say, bravo, that's a wonderful thing to do. But here's three things you can do for free. Climb a mountain and see the world with God's eyes. Express gratitude every single day. And act like a kid. Try something new. It worked for Moses. It can work for us too. Amen.